Welcome to The Daily Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Trevor Lovell, a pastor from our Near North location. Throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add even a little sense of rhythm to life. And so to do that, we created The Daily Cut, short devotionals that we hope encourage you as you grow in your faith and relationship with Jesus. This is The Daily Cut, and I'm Trevor Lovell. All right. It's good to be with you all. I hope you're doing well. Uh, and I hope that you've been enjoying this week's series as we've been going through the different parables that Jesus taught throughout his ministry. And honestly, he taught many of them. And so we're just hitting on a few of the key ones as we go through these this week, right? Parables being teachings that uh, utilize stories and even just everyday illustrations to make a spiritual point. And uh, today we're looking at what is arguably the most famous parable of all time the parable of the prodigal son, which is actually an interesting title for it because one of the things we'll see as we explore as we explore it a little bit further is that it's really not just about uh, the one son who was prodigal, but the story is making a point through what happens with both sons, right? That the, uh, what was, what we'll see as we look into it is that the younger son, the prodigal son, uh, and the older brother as well, you actually need to know what happens with both of them in order to get the full meaning of the story. And so it's called the parable of the prodigal son, but really a more accurate, uh, title for it would probably be the parable of the two sons. Um, but we'll we'll stick with the traditional title for today. And so as we jump into this, uh, let me just give us a feel for the context as we're getting going. So this parable comes in Luke chapter 15, uh, and it actually comes in a set of multiple parables. And many understand this one to be uh, sort of the completing parables to a set of three of them that, that are matched up together in this section. And so this is what happens at the beginning of the chapter. All kinds of people are drawing near to Jesus to listen to him teach and just to be near to him, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes see this. They see everyone drawing near to Jesus. And they see in particular the types of people that are drawing near to Jesus. And they actually complain about him. They criticize Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and with sinners, right? Because he claims to be a religious leader like them. But if that's true, he shouldn't be with people like that. And so they're critiquing him in this way. And it's actually in response to their complaining and their critiquing that he launches out into this series of parables that he tells to his disciples, to the people who are drawing near, but also in the hearing of these Pharisees and these scribes. And so in a way, it ends up being a little bit of a public critique, but uh, but we'll get to that, right? So uh, he launches into this series of parables. And the first one is the parable of the lost sheep, where uh, it's really short and quick. Basically, a man who has a hundred sheep loses one of them. And so he leaves the 99 sheep who are safe. He leaves them behind to go and find that one lost sheep. And he searches for it everywhere. Uh, and when he does finally find it, he rejoices and he celebrates with his friends because he found that which was lost, right? And uh, so that's the first one. Second one is the parable of the lost coin, where a woman who had 10 silver coins, she lost one in her home. And so what she does is she lights a lamp and she sweeps her entire house. She searches everywhere diligently to try and find that one missing silver coin. And eventually she does find it. And when she does, she too celebrates, just like the man with the lost sheep. And the point of both of these is that, right, in both parables, what happened is something valuable was lost. And the person it belonged to searched for it because it was valuable to them, because it mattered to them. And so they worked really hard to find it. And when they finally did find what was missing, whether it was the sheep or the silver coin, they rejoiced 
They were glad and they celebrated with their friends and with their neighbors. They, they rejoiced because it was that big of a deal to find that which was lost. And the connection to the crowd, to those listening, is that what Jesus is doing in his ministry is he's seeking what belongs to him or what belongs to his father, but what's been lost, right? And hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He's just like the man in the parable looking for his lost sheep or the woman searching for her lost coin. He's lost something valuable and he's looking for it. And when he finds it, right, which the equivalent of that is when they draw near to him and they begin to be interested in God and in the kingdom of God. And when they begin to, to follow him in his teaching, that's something that Jesus rejoices in. That's something that he celebrates, right? And so the first two share that basic point. And then along comes the third parable in the set, the parable of the prodigal son, which makes that same point, but then expands on it in a bit of an unexpected way. So we're going to jump into that one now. And uh, this is how it starts in Luke 15, starting at verse 11. I'll just read the first little section of this for us. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. All right, so that's the initial phase of the story, right? The younger son, in an act that would have been incredibly disrespectful, especially in a culture that was honor and shame based and oriented, right? He asked his father for his inheritance early, which is the equivalent to saying that, that I would rather have you dead so that I could get what's coming to me now, right? Just, just an incredibly disrespectful thing to do. But what the father does is he actually assents to his son's request, to his son's incredibly disrespectful request. He does what his son asks. He gives him his share of the inheritance early. And soon afterwards, this son takes all of his money, all of his wealth, and he leaves, right? He journeys into a far country. He leaves the farm in Kansas and he journeys off to the Las Vegas of the day. And there it says he squandered his property in reckless living. And don't miss this, right? It's not that he just makes some bad investments, that he takes some some business or some investment risks and they just don't turn out. It's not that kind of thing, right? Later on in the story, we see that part of this reckless living actually included him uh, paying for prostitution, right? So there's nothing righteous or noble or honorable about the way that he squanders this money. He does some horrible things with it. He does some horrible and some incredibly irresponsible things. But then it says this in the story, that what coincided with his money finally running out was that at the very same time, a severe famine arose in the land. And honestly, if not for that famine, he probably could have found other work. He he would have had to settle down a bit. Uh, He would have had to calm down, but he would have been fine because he could have found work. But it was actually this hardship of the famine that actually helped lead him into repentance, which is just kind of a, an interesting and a curious thing to notice as we're going through the story and the parable. But 
right? But because this is how that plays out. What happens next is because of the famine, there's no work. He can't find a job anywhere, at least not a decent job. And so in the end, just to keep himself from starving, he has to hire himself out as a servant to a foreigner, someone who wasn't Jewish. And he worked taking care of that person's pigs, which for a Jewish person was completely taboo, right? To be working with pigs because they're an unclean animal. You're not supposed to have anything to do with pigs, but this is literally the only way he can survive. And so he takes the job and it's while he's working it, while he's caring for these pigs and he's feeding them and he's watching the pigs eat their food. And in that moment, it says he's so hungry that he actually starts to envy the pigs and to think about how well fed they are and how cared for they are and how he doesn't have any of that, right? And he's at a point where as a Jewish man, He's working for a foreigner, taking care of pigs, an unclean animal, an incredibly shameful position. And he's looking at these pigs and he's so hungry and so destitute that he's actually envying these pigs. And I think you could call that rock bottom. And this is what happens next in verse 17. It says this, but when he came to himself, right, when he snapped out of it, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Right? He hatches this plan to go back and ask for his father's forgiveness. And now he knows that that what he's done is basically unforgivable. Right? Not only in the disrespect that he showed his father in a public way, right? In front of all of their friends, their neighbors. Right, publicly shaming his father, but also that he's coming back completely empty-handed afterwards. He's lost everything, right? And so he knows that he's not even trying to come back as a son. Right? He's planning to say, you deserve better. I recognize what I've done. And please just let me work for you as one of your servants. And so he starts making his way back home, planning out his speech along the way, trying to figure out his words, how he wants to say them, kind of what tone of voice he's working on the speech. And then as he starts to draw near to the house, to the, to the home, this is what it says in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, the father didn't even respond to him and to what he said. You get the sense that he almost didn't even hear him, that he wasn't listening. But instead, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Just like the man who lost his sheep, just like the woman who lost her coin, when they finally found what was missing, they rejoiced, that they celebrated. And what this shows us is a picture of what it's like for God when we repent. When somebody comes to God and becomes a follower of Jesus, this is what it's like. There's that kind of rejoicing. There's that kind of a celebration and of a joy that what was missing, what was lost, 
is found. And sometimes I think that those who don't know Jesus yet, right? And, and I can think back to periods of my life uh, before I was a follower of Christ. I think that they can have this thought that God doesn't care about them, that God isn't concerned about them. Whereas what these parables are actually saying is that God waits for them with all of the anticipation and the anxiousness of a father waiting for his lost son or hoping that today is the day that he'll finally come home. And the point of that is that I think that that should shape the way that we think about what it was like for God when we came to faith, whether it was as a child or as a teenager, as an adult, wherever it was, I think that this should shape the way that we understand what that moment was like for God, or how excited he was, and to realize that God celebrated when we became followers of Jesus. I think that's a big deal to understand that that's how much we matter to God, and it's how much we matter to him even before we'd done anything for him, right? Because the father, he sees the son coming from a long way off before the son is even like fully made at home and given his speech before any of that. He sees his son just on the way home, and he runs to him and embraces him and plans and launches off into this huge celebration. And I think that's a picture of what it's like for God when we come to faith in Jesus, right? Even, you know, no matter what we were doing beforehand, he loved us all along and he always wanted us to come home. And so when we begin even taking the first steps in that direction, God celebrates that. And so that should shape the way that we think about that moment in our own lives and really, that should shape the way we feel about others as well, right? Especially about those who aren't yet followers of Christ. Because even while this is a nice and fitting conclusion to the prodigal son story, there's still another brother, right? We see that the, that the parable isn't done yet because it's not just about the one son. It's also about the older brother who we go on to find has his own heart issues to deal with. And I think this is where it really starts to bring this story home for us, where the meaning of the parable really starts to come uh, in an impactful way, right? Because the story keeps going, and, and this is what it says in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And right here, you'd, you'd almost expect him to start celebrating too, to be excited, to, to run into the, the home, to run into the party, to join in the music and the dancing and the rejoicing, right? Because his little brother is back. But instead, it says this, but he was angry and refused to go in his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He's upset. He feels like their father has given and displayed a love for the younger brother that he hasn't deserved. And also he feels like the younger brother who's done so much, who's done so much wrong, has received all of this favor and this celebration now when the older brother who's lived his life right, who's done things right, hasn't gotten any of that. He hasn't received any of that at all. His whole life, he's been faithful. He's served his father. He's done his work, but he's never received a celebration like that. 
And so he's upset. And in response, this is what the father says to him in verse 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's how the parable ends. We don't actually get the older brother's response. We don't get to see whether or not he continues to kind of pout and throw a fit in the field or whether or not he joins the party, whether or not he joins the celebration. And that's intentional because what Jesus is doing in this extension to the story is he's challenging the Pharisees and the scribes who are listening. He's calling them out at this point because just prior to this, they were complaining about him because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was rejoicing with them because of their interest in God and in the kingdom of God. And just like the older brother, the Pharisees and the scribes, they see it and they're upset about it. They're upset about it. And so Jesus is challenging them. But it's also a challenge for a lot of us because I think it's it's really easy for our hearts to end up in a similar place to that of this older brother and also the Pharisees and the scribes where we look at those outside of the church, right? Those that we deem to be far from God, either those we work with who are a bit less than moral, right? Family members who are frustrating and and maybe just seem incredibly far from God or people we're around who you just, they seem like they have no interest in, in Christianity, no interest in Jesus, right? People that we would put in the category of someone who is so far from God, who are in some ways irresponsible, who are sinful, who hurt other people in their sin, I think it's easy for us to look at them and to miss God's heart for them. It's easy for us to make the same mistake as the older brother, the same mistake as the Pharisees and the scribes, and to miss the reality that God sees them as valuable and that he seeks them out just like the man with the lost sheep, just like the woman with the lost coin, and just like this father with his lost son. And I think when we miss that, it can shape the way that we interact with them uh, in a way that's less than helpful because we end up going through our days, right? Not expecting that a person like that to come to faith because they're not good enough, right? The way their lives are, they're just, they're too much of a mess. But what this parable teaches us is that that's, that's not how God sees them. He sees them as valuable and is worth rejoicing over and that we should too, we, we should rejoice over the, the even the hope that they would come to faith in Jesus. And so let me just ask the question, right? Because I think it makes it more real when we can actually identify a person in our life, right? So this is the question. Who's the person in your life that you're around on a regular basis, whether it's a, you know, a roommate, whether it's someone you work with, whether it's a family member, who's that person that you're around that you have a hard time believing that God cares about? that you have a hard time believing that God loves because of the way that they live their life? Who's the person in your life that you have a hard time believing God cares about because of the way that they are? And then the follow-up question is, how would your relationship with that person change if you started to view them as someone who mattered to God, as someone that God saw as a lost son or a lost daughter? that he loved and that he was waiting for to come home. Because I think that's how this parable is shaping us to understand them, to, to see them in the same way that God sees them. 
And as we close here, the last thing I want to mention is one thing that I believe plays into this parable, right? That, that I think part of the reason the older brother's heart gets hardened in this way isn't just because he's mad at the younger brother's celebration, but it's because he feels like he's never had his father's heart in that same way. And I think in some ways we can feel like God's heart for us is dependent on certain things, right? On how good we are and how successful we are, that we need to in some way earn God's heart for us, that we need to earn his love. And I think part of the remedy for that is actually what this parable is saying, that that part of the medicine for that is teaching ourselves to understand that God loves those who are far from him. Because the more we're able to understand that reality about even the difficult people in our lives, the more that we can understand that and feel that reality, the more we're able to understand his love for us as well. And that in the same way that he celebrates others, he celebrates us too. He celebrates you. And so the point is, you have your father's heart. He's for you. And I think learning to recognize his heart for other people, especially those that we find difficult, is a way to realize how much his heart is for us as well. Even in our own messes that are maybe a little bit cleaner on the outside than that of the prodigal son. But, But even so, he's for us. Thanks for listening. I hope you're doing well. We'll be back tomorrow with another short devotional. So stay tuned. 